count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. It's time for another episode of the Wooth and Why Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Woot and Why Show. I'm Josh Why. I may have to get that uh, audio changed because our special guest has been on quite a bit. It could say the uh, the Ochoa and Why Show, but uh, welcome as a guest host this week. Uh, you'll know him if you've been listening to the show. If it's a first time listen, welcome. And RJ Ochoa, he's the host of Ocho Live. He's an ESPN San Antonio insider. He's a writer for Blogging the Boys, and he's just an all round good dude. You can follow him on Twitter at RJHR. Welcome back, buddy. How are you? What's going on, uh, my friend? It feels good. Uh, I do think that you're right, though. I, I've kind of, you know, I've been cool um, all these times before, but if I can get in on the uh, the intro theme song, I mean, I'm not going to say no. No, I might have to just, every time you're a guest, you just go a little like a, a ricka ricka, and then it just says, it cuts, just puts your name in there instead. I don't know. Maybe. Exactly. Like a, yeah. like a remix of sorts. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to figure out. See, problem was Woot did all the intros and, and organized all that with uh, with the sound guy. So, um, unfortunately, he's the lock and key for that. So, uh, and he's not he, he's not here today. Um, and he he's going to be away for the next few weeks. So, just a heads up. So, you may hear some more of RJ Ochoa and Scott last week and, and possibly uh, Doyle, who's uh, filled in for us uh, from time to time as well. Uh, sort of a, a buffet or a carousel of guest hosts over the next uh, few weeks as we head to the playoffs. Um, but they say the season doesn't truly start until Thanksgiving, um, and Thanksgiving's been and gone. How was your Thanksgiving? It was uh, it was fantastic. I covered the Cowboys Chargers game for ESPN San Antonio, so um, did that. Uh, it was my first. I'd never actually even been to a Cowboys Thanksgiving game, so it was uh, quite interesting. The spread in the press box was delectable. Um, I guess, you know, I, I was going to not ask this uh, out of fear of sounding ignorant, but I trust you. I feel safe here. Um, do you celebrate Thanksgiving due to your love for the NFL at all, to any degree? Um, a little bit. See, down here, it's just not big at all. There's Halloween starting to pick up a little bit more and more down here. Um, but Thanksgiving, just no one really understands it uh, too much. Uh, like, they understand what it is, but they just it's not really relevant to, to Australians. So... Uh, for me, it's it's great. I, I love Thanksgiving down here because it's a Friday here, um, and it's just three games back to back to back. Um, so it's just like a really good day for me. It's just like a a full day of it's like another red zone really, except it's just sort of one game um, for seven hours rather than you know eight games at one. I do love an octo box, but um, watching a game from start to finish uh, is really good. So I I try to get turkey, but when I'm at work on a Friday, the best I can come up with is turkey sub at Subway. Mm. Okay, so, respect. Which is, which it makes it, it, it warms my heart to know that you're participating yeah. um, all the way on the other side of the earth. But uh, but yeah, it was good. I had turkey a lot of places uh, just because I kind of celebrated multiple times. Yep. Um, so so I'm a little turkeyed out uh, for for now. I mean, you know, I, I can always eat a good bird, but uh, yep. but for now, I'm I'm a little good. Yeah, and for uh, for us, like it's 
it's a little bit f- like five years ago I was in Thanksgiving. I think it might have been six years ago. I got the memory on my Facebook the other day. So I was on a, on a trip where Josh uh, Woot was one of them as well. And um, we, were in, we were in San Fran for Thanksgiving. So we went to a restaurant that put on a Thanksgiving dinner for tourists and stuff. And that was awesome. It was an amazing feeling. So where does it rank like in terms of holidays for Americans? Like how is, is it the number one? Like is it bigger than Christmas for some people? Uh, I would say, I mean, because football is so heavily associated with Thanksgiving, it, it's really, really up there. Uh, as a Texas A&M Aggie, it used to be a little bit more epic when we would play uh, the University of Texas. Uh, that's obviously dwindled off. I would still put Christmas up there because for me, and I think for most, Christmas is a holiday that lasts for an entire month, yep. whereas Thanksgiving's just kind of that, that short little week. It's really just Tuesday through Thursday. Yep. Um, but it's it's definitely number two, right, right back there, uh, especially – and I know I'll really throw you for a loop. I mean, you know, being in, in Dallas for this one, it was it was a lot colder than uh, what, what I'm used to, certainly. Uh, not that it was freezing by any means, but it was chilly. And it had that really nice kind of crisp fall feeling in the air. Felt You know, it felt like Thanksgiving. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely up there, but not quite as cool as Christmas. Yeah. We've got a, a new American uh, guy at my work, and he found it very weird on the Friday Um not celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, obviously, it's uh, the the actual dates on a Thursday here because um, we're obviously ahead. So he 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 found it really weird, but uh, he still enjoyed having football uh, back to back to back to back as well. Anyway, week week twelve. Before we uh, move into all the news and analysis from week twelve, what was your favorite thing from week twelve in terms of the action? What what was your favorite thing? What impressed you? What made you laugh? What what was your favorite thing? You know. It was a, a good Sunday. Uh, you know, a lot of the Sundays haven't really lived up to the hype. I, I think, you know, I'm I'm a, a fan of elite runners, and I'm a fan of good teams, and I'm a fan of good things happening to good teams. And Alvin Kamara is just so much fun. I'm somewhat shocked that nobody has sort of ripped the old chipmunk soundbite with him yet. I haven't heard that anywhere. <laughs> Um, but Alvin Kamara is so much fun and he wears a number that's extremely unnatural for a running back of his, uh, his particular variety. But for some reason it all just works. I'm fascinated by him. Yeah. I think I tweeted a few weeks ago after he had a big play, Alvin and the Kamara monks and everyone told me to log off. So I I just avoided the whole chipmunk Alvin thing whatsoever. At some point, the Saints have to draft a Theodore and a Simon, right? Like, yeah. I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely think that is something that needs to happen. Uh, my favorite thing probably was Child Ben McAdoo. Um, he oh my is my spirit animal. Um, that was the lone highlight from what probably was the worst game of the season. Like, I, I rarely turn off a football game. I, I, I switched off the Giants-Redskins uh, game. I, I was done with that. Um, but child Ben McAdoo was just his life. It was just, it was just <laughs> sensational. Everything about him, uh, I think I would like to have seen him just, you know, head down on the sideline and call a few plays just, just to see how it panned out. Because I think he might be a better coach than the real Ben McAdoo. Is he more adorable than child Andy Reid? Because that, the that mustache on Andy Reid's child version was just incredibly adorable. I think Ben McAdoo is because the hair is just perfect. I, it, oh boy, I, I'd have to lean McAdoo. Maybe there's a bit of recency bias, but I definitely am leaning <laughs> towards McAdoo. 
That's fair. I'm I'm fine with that. Good call. Yeah. Uh, some other things I really liked. Um, the Chargers kicker. Uh, obviously, he got injured, and then the punter. And um, you would have seen this firsthand. Ugh. Um, practicing on the sideline, just missed the net completely. I feel like, <laughs> you know, wh- where did that? I don't know where that ball ended up, but <laughs> I mean, how does that happen? I it's don't know. just uh, that's a new low. That's a new low. And it got me thinking as well, and you'll be on top of this as well, being a Cowboys fan, you know, how does uh, Sam Irwin Hill not get a gig anywhere, given that he can do both? I have no idea. Sam Irwin Hill, a.k.a. the reincarnated version of Matt McBriar, uh, definitely needs a job in the NFL. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and honestly, how do most kickers not do both? Yeah. I mean, how, like, if you could save a roster spot, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it'd just be so valuable. I mean, like the difference between, uh, is it Drew Kaiser, their punter, and Sam Irwin Hill as a punter can't be that significant that it warrants not having Irwin Hill on your on your roster because he can, you know, kick a field goal or fill in for your field goal kicker. I just feel like it's incredible that you have 46 guys who have been playing football at various levels across their lives and that nobody can kick a field goal besides one guy. That's yeah. a kind of amazing. It is. It is. It is very, very crazy. And I know all the pro kick punters, the uh, the Australian ones down here, they train them doing both. So a lot of those guys, um, if you if you're not having an Aussie or a, a pro kick punter on your roster, um, you're missing out on the, the ability for for kicks and and whatnot as well. Uh, anything else from week twelve before we move on? You know, it was a weird week. It was a great week. Um, and I feel like the microcosm of that is that the best game was between the Packers and the Steelers, two classic organizations in the NFL, and that Aaron Rodgers wasn't a part of it. That just it felt so unnatural yeah. that that game was so interesting, and that Aaron Rodgers was not in it. Um, it was awkward. It was weird. And I feel like this whole season is an out of body experience, and that's kind of what that game felt like. Yeah, I think that's a great way to. Uh, explain the season. And Collinsworth saying that Aaron Rodgers couldn't have outplayed Hunley tonight, that was the most... I love Collinsworth, but that was the most <laughs> asinine thing I've ever heard. I saw your tweet in the moment, um, and I feel like that was one of those just moments where everybody just immediately was not at all on the person's side. Like, just yeah. they were immediately ostracized for that particular opinion. Yeah. And I feel like Collinsworth probably had... I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I do love him as well. He probably had a legitimate logical thought but he just you know verbalized it in the most poor way possible yeah i mean you can say brent hunley had a great game without you know torching someone else it's you know that is possible but uh chris so oh well talking tidbits all right let's talk some news and uh eli manning this is the big news that dropped this morning so lucky we didn't start any earlier uh, but here we are, uh, the Giants, they've benched Eli Manning for Week 13. Uh, stunningly, hilariously, bafflingly, they're turning to Geno Smith. Uh, third rounder Davis Webb will also be in the mix uh, down the stretch. But um, the team apparently gave Manning the option of starting Sunday's game before giving it away to Smith, but he declined. Um, so obviously that consecutive start uh, record was something that was... Um, on the agenda for Manning to, to question, and he has 210 consecutive starts, the second longest streak um, in NFL history behind Brett Favre's, Brett Favre, sorry, uh, 297, which in a violent sport is insane, 297 mm-hmm. straight games. It is crazy. Um, so, look, Manning hasn't been great this season, but he's far from the Giants' biggest problems. Given 
what he's had to throw to and who he's had to throw to and the protection that he's had. Um, I think, like, you could say that maybe parts of his season this year have been more impressive than they were last season when he had OBJ and Sterling Shepard healthy and was still missing some throws, whereas this year he seems to be hitting on throws, but players like Roger Lewis Jr. and Tavares King are are making drops or, or running the wrong routes. So it is interesting that this is the week that they choose to get rid of him. Well, not only that, but I feel like there's a contradicting sort of set of philosophies here because if you go with Davis Webb, okay, I mean, I think, and I know that this has sort of been said in the immediate fallout, but okay, we can all kind of understand it's a rookie. You want to see how he is. Maybe he's the future, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So benching Eli in that regard is somewhat justifiable, but benching him for Geno Smith is really indefensible from this perspective of Ben McAdoo admitted that they were mathematically eliminated. So then why are you trotting Geno Smith out there? What, what, what game is there to be made in this particular situation? I think the whole thing is really fascinating. Um, And I know that I referred to the Packers Steelers game as the microcosm for how weird this season is. I'm going to change my answer. The microcosm for how weird 2017 is, is that the Giants, the New York Giants are perhaps the least classy organization in the NFL. I never thought that I would see that day. Yeah. And it's a weird sort of feeling. I don't understand the, the motive behind it. Like I do in some part in seeing what they have in Geno because look, Geno's still young. So it's, it's not that crazy that he could turn things around, not be a starter, but at least show that he could be, you know, a bridge or a backup for you um, as you head towards the future or, or whatever that may be. But then at the same time, like what, what's the, is Ben McAdoo trying to save his job here? Is, is showing that Manning is the problem. If, if they somehow go on a crazy win streak with Geno Smith and Davis Webb going to, save his job or even Jerry Reese's job for that matter. He he might be he might be out of um out of New York as well. If you look at the most recent drafts, some 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 whiffs and, and some misses there. Uh, Eli Apple comes to mind. Um and look Evan Ingram is great, but maybe a left tackle like a Garrett Bowles there would have been a much safer pick or or a less flashy, more realistic pick there. Um but I, I just don't I just don't understand it. It it is really, really weird and for me like I don't know. I, I think for the future of the Giants, looking at it, it's going to come down to the draft process now. Um, where they pick, obviously, it could be a top three pick, most likely. Um, if they fall in love with a quarterback in the draft, then they can maybe move on from Eli Manning. Uh, and then the question becomes, where does Eli Manning play next? Jacksonville obviously comes up, uh, reuniting with Tom Coughlin. Denver also comes up, um, you know, acquiring a Manning has worked for them in the past. Those sort of questions now you know, all eyes on, on the Big Apple and, and Big Blue uh, in the offseason. I feel like this will be a day that is one of the darker days in New York sports history. And as a Cowboys fan, I, I think it's comparable to perhaps, in fact, not perhaps, definitely not this uh, this dark, but sort of sort of similar to the day that Jerry Jones fired Tom Landry. I mean, because that was a day where it was immediately universally agreed that this was a terrible idea, this was a poor handling, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And I think 30 years from now, the villain will be Ben McAdoo, Jerry Reese, sort of the the puppeteer involved. And I think you look at this, and it's a very, very, very horrible thing to do to the single individual that is responsible for 
the success that you've had over the last decade. Uh, I mean, it's just it's such a, a crazy thing in terms of how fast life comes at you. I mean, it was a few weeks ago they celebrated the 10 year anniversary of when they knocked off the undefeated Patriots. Yep. And and just, you know, I, I don't totally buy into these types of narratives and sort of conspiracies, but I, I actually do believe there's a large sense of Jerry Reese and co being kind of ungrateful here and kind of making Eli Manning the fall guy. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, as a Cowboys fan, I've had a lot of fun at Eli's expense, but man, that dude has really sent me to bed a lot of days, just so sick to myself. And, uh, if his time as a New York giant is done, I mean, he, uh, he, he made it a race and, uh, I'll always appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I tweeted out, uh, earlier, like he's been made the sacrificial lamb. I think that's spot on, but, Look, Eli Manning has has his flaws and has been inconsistent, and you know there's been some bad seasons where they've missed the playoffs and and things like that. But I mean, the guy went into two Super Bowls against Bill Belichick and emerged victorious. Um, that's a hell of a hell of a player, hell of a tough quarterback. Um, the consecutive start things also, you know, uh, you know, uh, brings up his toughness as well. Um, so I'll always appreciate uh, Eli Manning's toughness and uh, his drive. I do think that if he goes to Jacksonville, obviously it would be compelling, but it would be particularly compelling because the NFC East plays the AFC South next season. So our teams will square off, uh, as you already know, but the Jacksonville Jaguars travel to New York to take on the Giants. That could be the Eli Tom Coughlin revenge game, uh, which would be quite fascinating. Yeah, that would be uh, an interesting watch. Uh, the NFC East uh, is in the news as well today. We won't spend too much time on this, but uh, Darren McFadden's announced his retirement uh, after 10 years in in the NFL. So he went unclaimed uh, on waivers after the Cowboys waived him a few days ago. So the career's over. It was a it's a weird sort of career. He had a late sur- you know resurgence behind that Dallas offensive line after sort of struggling early on in his career. But, you know, he's earned enough money and he can uh, can retire quite comfortably. Darren McFadden is a really interesting player, certainly one of the more prolific college football players. You think about the Wildcat uh, that he and Felix Jones were a part of at the University of Arkansas, how much Jerry Jones wanted him at the time, uh, the 2008 NFL draft. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it always seemed like it, it was just sort of Jerry Jones. That, that was his prize. You know, at some point he was going to get Darren McFadden. And I think Cowboys fans really owe him a debt of gratitude. He really made the first season without DeMarco Murray salvageable. He was kind of the lone bright spot in 2015. You're right, though, a, a weird career, but, but somehow, some way, still one worth mentioning. I would argue that he had a, a better NFL career than Reggie Bush, for example, yep. although Reggie did get a Super Bowl ring. That is, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported that uh, <laughs> Josh Gordon, he will play in week 13. Um, so he's back at practice, ready to play. Uh, and Browns coach Hugh Jackson wants Josh Gordon to play as much as possible um, this week. I just want to mention this because I've been following his story for some time. I'm a Josh Gordon fan. Um, I believe that his comeback this time is very genuine and feels different. Um, than than in previous ones, so I am really really excited to watch Josh Gordon uh, play. Not too well because I need my Chargers to to keep on charging on um, into the AFC playoffs. I've got a few different wages with uh, some people that disagree with me about the Chargers at the start of the year. So if they can make the playoffs, that would be great. But uh, Josh Gordon, I'm I'm keen to watch him play uh, this week. I feel like the Browns are the Chargers' kryptonite. 
you think about their lone win last season, obviously, uh, for the Cleveland Browns was against those those Chargers. And it just doesn't it feel like like Josh Gordon's going to lead them to get their only win of this season. That doesn't that feel like a Chargers thing? And I, I'm it with does. you. I believe in I'm the Chargers, scared. but for for the Browns, two wins across two seasons to be against the Chargers, that just feels like destiny. I am very worried about that game, but I think the Packers game is the one the Browns will uh, will get the win over in in a few weeks. Uh, let's move on. Last little bit of news: uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter reports that Crabtree and Talib. Um, suspension for unsportsmanlike conduct and unnecessary rough, roughness um, has been reduced from two games to one. I predicted this yesterday when it was initially two, and they were appealing that it'll end up being one. But we all we've all seen the brawl that Talib instigated um, when he snatched the chain off Michael Crabtree's neck again, and Crabtree had taped it down. Unbelievable effort by Talib um, to still manage to get the chain and rip it off, um, and it full on uh, escalated into into a street fight. Uh, it was probably the most entertaining thing about that game, to be honest. Uh, but two weeks now, and the Raiders, uh, sorry, one week now from two weeks, and the Raiders they're gonna they're gonna be very low at uh, wide receiver with uh, Crabtree, Crabtree suspended, and then Cooper now um, in the concussion protocol, um, and then Talib will be back week fourteen against the Jets. This this whole thing was in, incredibly entertaining. I agree with you, but I also find it incredibly infuriating that in a span of 24 hours, the original suspension is handed out, it is appealed, it is heard, and it is decided on, and the punishment, which is less than 24 hours old, is changed. What what changed? I, I don't understand that. The, the NFL's discipline system, obviously as a Cowboys fan, I have a, a very unique opinion on. Yep. But still, I don't understand how that's possible, how less than 24 hours later, something could have changed. I'll, I'll never understand it, but I knew the minute they said two games that they did that so that it would be appealed into one. I think their original objective was always for, for it to be one game, if that, if that even makes any sense. It um it doesn't, but I trust you. Yeah, and I'll believe and you. The, yeah, the appeals process from the NFL. We won't go into that rabbit hole, but it is a complete mess. But Tom Brady did it. Um, all right, and uh, let's let's move on. Uh, this one is gonna uh, you're gonna have some fun with this one. It's this week's Pagano proverb. Um, but you take it one uh, one day at a time, and you keep swinging the axe and keep chopping wood, if you will, and. Eventually, the tree will fall. Enemy is always in your own camp. It's a huge game uh, because it's Coach said it's the next game. Chopping wood one day at a time. One game at a time, it's the next one. You know, it's the most important one because it is the next one. It's a big one because it's the next one. It's a big game, but it's a big game because it's the next one. Nothing else matters uh, but the next game. Uh, you you got to keep chopping. Uh, can't get too high, can't get too low, man. Just keep chopping. You know, day after day after day and stick to the process and keep practicing and keep grinding. And eventually, you know, if you keep swinging the axe, you know, the tree's going to fall. Keep chopping wood. Anybody else, you take it one day at a time. He's a warrior. I'm not a doctor. You keep chopping, the tree will fall. <laughs> the Pagano Proverb. All right, this week's – we haven't done this segment for a while. Um, so I think Mike Zimmer saying that Bradford may be out two days or six weeks back in week three was the last time we played this. Um, but Pagano himself is going to be the Pagano proverb this week. RJ, did you hear this press conference? I'm going to play some of it in a second. But did did you hear this press conference? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, and it was – it was glorious. It was everything that I needed it to be, honestly. All right, I'm going to play some of this now. Um, you may hear my head thud uh, hitting the table um, in disappointment, but here we are. At some point, do you ever worry that this is going to become a mental issue for your players? Because it's you know kind of like Groundhog's Day. It's over and over again. Yeah. 
Yeah, that song we played, you know, woke up to that this morning. Is that Sonny and Cher? Huh? I got you, babe. I got you, babe. Yeah, went down, got my coffee, said hello to the what's-her-name, the little gal in the coffee shop, stole the money out of the back of the truck, drove my truck off the, you know, into the tar pit or whatever, off the landfill, jumped off a building, lived through it. Did you see the movie? Did you ever see the movie, Groundhog Day? What do you guys do? You spend so much time on Twitter, you're not enjoying the better things in life. Bill Murray, come on. No, I'm not a Bill Murray. I jumped off the roof at my home this morning. I still, I, it's, I'm not, it's not going away. No, it's, it's everybody. It's you guys. It's the fans. It's everybody driving up there. It's everybody in the NFL community. Okay? There's a storm in the Atlantic. Hurricane, whatever you want to call it. When's it going to hit landfall? You know, it's coming. Third quarter, middle of the third. It's getting late third. They're up ten. Got to happen sometime. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy right now. Yeah. That was not a good answer at all. Uh, and then he went on to talk about and explain how hurricanes uh, form in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, doesn't he have some affiliation? Wasn't he at Miami? I feel like yeah. Wasn't Chuck Pagano? So I mean, the hur- yeah, there you go. Hurricanes. And. RJ, hold me. Um, I cannot wait for this man to leave our organization. Uh, I got no words. I, I'm speaking. Who do you have more confidence in, Jim Irsay or Chuck Pagano? Oh boy, is option C? Hurl myself from a window. I just I find it, I find it fascinating that this exists, that this really happened. And I find it fascinating that Chuck Pagano wasn't able to kind of hear himself uh, a minute or two in and kind of stop himself. I wish, just, yeah, I wish he had the power to hear himself 30 seconds in advance so he doesn't say what he's going to say. This was just – when I first saw this, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was um, sort of clipped together, like several videos. I, I thought there's no possible way that this could be one consecutive line of thought. Um, but, um, Chuck Pagano continues to impress. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, I will say that that couldn't be further from the truth. Hey, somebody's got to be the Chuck Pagano of the world. Why? And it's Chuck Pagano. That is very true. Three point stance. Three point stance time now. And we'll talk Cowboys as the first point in our three point stance. The Cowboys season. Uh, looks to be over in a very competitive NFC. If they're in the AFC, they'd be favorite for for a wild card for sure. But the NFC, very, very tight this year. So a lot of questions. Um, but firstly, what do what does RJ Ochoa foresee for them in this offseason? Could we see potential change at head coach? Um, not, not talking management, but some recent drafts over the few years, some questionable decisions. What, what, what's your thoughts on, on the Cowboys moving forward at this point? Well, you look at the talent that the Cowboys roster has, and I think that we all agree they have some sense of talent, some semblance of talent. And you look at what they've done um, in, in this particular three-game stretch that they're coming off of, and you look at what they haven't done, and there are a few data points that sort of jump out at you and scream at you. And the first is that 
the Dallas Cowboys have lost three games in a row, which is kind of a rarity in the Jason Garrett era. That had never happened before, with the lone exception of the 2015 season, which I think we all agree is a legitimate outlier. The Dallas Cowboys also uh, had the worst loss ever in AT&T Stadium history against their hated rival, the Philadelphia Eagles, on the night Jerry Jones got his Hall of Fame ring on Sunday Night Football. The Dallas Cowboys have also scored single-digit points for three games in a row for the first time in franchise history. Des Bryant has gone five straight games without a touchdown. He's one away from becoming the Dallas Cowboys all-time leader. He's gone five straight games without scoring, which is the biggest draught of his career. Dak Prescott hasn't thrown a touchdown in three games, which is the biggest draught of his short career. There are all sorts of record lows that the Dallas Cowboys are pulling off here. It's actually difficult mm. to It can't be, be this. all attributed to Zeke as well. Well, I think that it is. And wow. I think that that's that, I think that that's what's fascinating. And I, I don't I don't blame the players, but you know, the Dallas Cowboys were supposed to have learned their lesson throughout the entire 2015 season from the perspective of we can't build our entire team around one player at the time Tony Romo. We can't do that because it's going to get us in trouble if that player is not available to us. And then literally with their first draft pick after that, they did the same thing with Ezekiel Elliott. And the Cowboys got insanely lucky that Dak Prescott was who he was last season. Yep. If not, they would have had this season then, and we would be one year into a new head coach in all likelihood. And so I think that you look at this and you look at the margin that Jason Garrett has been outscored in the second half. You look at how terrible his team has been. I wrote at bloggingtheboys.com before that Eagles game a few weeks ago that that was a fork in the road for Garrett because up until that point, you could kind of exonerate all his miscues to the degree of, well, he was without Romo, he was without so-and-so. And at some point, and I know you feel this way about your coach, at some point, Jason Garrett has to be enough. At some point, he has to be the reason, not the benefactor. And we are learning more and more and more that he is the benefactor. And so I think that he's the change that, that needs to be made. So you're pre predicting that, that there will be a change of head coach at, at season's end? Barring the most miraculous sort of running of the table, which is an expression I learned to hate a year ago, <laughs> um, for the Dallas Cowboys to, to somehow find their way into the playoffs and, and pull off something incredible – yeah, and I think that, that the the larger their loss number is, the more likely that is. I mean, if they finish 7 and 9, something like that, I think it's it's pretty uh pretty it feels somewhat likely. Although, um maybe it's not Jason Garrett. There is going to be a fall guy here. Whether yeah. it's Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan, Rod Marinelli, somebody is uh is getting the boot. Yeah, and I mentioned how I don't think it can entirely be Zeke. I definitely do think he is a huge part of it. I, I look at him you know, if you look at Dallas like a car, Zeke is your engine. You take your engine out of your car, it's not going to go as great as it is. But the overreaction uh, to Dak Prescott's play um, is a little bit baffling to me. Um, you know, I think because he is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, a lot of his play last year got insanely overrated. And now this year, I feel like a lot of the talks that he can't operate without Zeke um, is, is also um, completely uh, an overreaction as well. Uh, I think... The truth lies somewhere in between. I do think um, Dak Prescott is a, a top 10 to 15 NFL quarterback um, moving forward and a franchise quarterback, um, stating the obvious there. But I do feel like that, that that talk is a little bit insane and overblown, whereas if you look at someone like Marcus Mariota, 
who's underperformed all year without with his running backs and with a great offensive line and with great weapons. But because he plays in Tennessee, no one really gives a crap, and he doesn't get he doesn't get thrown under the bus or scrutinized, uh, you know, on talkback radio and and uh, the herd and all that sort of stuff every single day, every single week. Um, I do think that's a little bit overblown. Do you agree? I certainly agree, and I agree with you that that theoretically Dak and, and, and the rest of the Dallas Cowboys can operate effectively without Ezekiel Elliott. I think that makes sense in a vacuum. Yep. I just don't think Jason Garrett and his staff live in that vacuum. I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, another coach, another staff would look at that and say, okay, our engine's gone. we got to move this thing with our feet like the Flintstones. Yes. But Jason Garrett and right. his staff are, are so committed to who they are that they're saying, we're, you know, it, it sounds great to to live in a vacuum. So we're going to come out, we're going to be the same team, we're going to run things the exact same way, but it, it simply cannot work that way. It cannot function that way. And so if you try to repeat the same, you know, sort of uh, set of circumstances, it's going to fail. Yep. We're, we're at a point, one of the best things that Bill Belichick does is he takes advantage of everybody's best skill set, and the Cowboys aren't utilizing their players to the best degree. They're just acting as if Zeke is there and praying that somebody fills that role. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, and look, a lot of the losses this on this stretch here have been without, you know, three out of their four best players. You know, Sean Lee's absence is, is huge and, and often overlooked. Tyron Smith, I know he played against the Chargers, but he didn't look right. He committed a lot of penalties um, more than he probably has in the entire season when he was healthy. Um, and then, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott out as well. Uh, you mentioned Des Bryant before, and our last point on Cowboys before we move on to a, to another team that struggled in recent weeks. But I, I do think that Des Bryant just doesn't fit this offense anymore. I I think that they need to move on from Des this offseason, whether that's a trade or I'm not sure about the cap implications of, of cutting him, but I thought I'd with you coming on, that you would explain or, or agree or disagree um, with that and probably give me more details on what you think. I think Des Bryant in the current iteration of the Dallas Cowboys offense doesn't fit. And so that sort of speaks to the Cowboys' reluctance to change things because why not get Des Bryant in the slot? Why not use him the way Bruce Arians uses Larry Fitzgerald? You know, Ben Rogers, who's a host on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, he made a great point in that Des isn't the best route runner in the world. We all know that. But what he is is a red zone magnet. I mean, he's a 50-50 ball guy that turns those into 80-20 balls. But that whole idea is predicated on your quarterback being somewhat of a risk taker, being the guy that's going to throw it up to Des to give him a shot. But giving him a shot is also risking something. And we have seen that that is not the type of quarterback Dak Prescott is. Dak Prescott is a maximizing of efficiency, minimizing levels of risk type of quarterback up until the last few weeks. Obviously, it's somewhat of a a silly conversation to have right now. I realize this, but that's not Dak Prescott's game. And so you have to be able to utilize Des Bryant's strengths and pair them with Dak Prescott's strengths. And we haven't seen that. So, I mean, to live in that world, you cannot use Des Bryant the way the Cowboys have always used Des Bryant. You just cannot anymore. You have to adjust in some shape or fashion, whether that's moving on from Des and finding somebody who you can use that way, that's one way to go, or adjusting and using Des the way that Dak Prescott can capitalize on uh, capitalize on him the most, which is what most capable NFL head coaches do. Yeah, and look, we saw Dak drop some really great passes in the bucket to Des last season. I'm just wondering where, where that play has gone over the last few weeks and why that why they're not making throws like that or calling throws or plays like that anymore. And that comes back to, as you said, the head coach 
and the offensive coordinator, uh, one of them will be the fall guy uh, in, in that regard. Um, all right, moving on. Part two in our three-point stance this week. Is it time for the Chiefs to hand the keys to uh, Patrick Mahomes? Uh, the Chiefs have been struggling um, over the last few weeks since their bye weeks. So they started 5-0, and and they've fallen off 6-5, and and are now the number four seed in the AFC. Um, they've completely fallen apart while losing five of their last six games, and one of those to the lowly Giants who we talked about earlier. Um, what was once a high-powered offense with filled with big plays, misdirection, and creativity is now showcasing little to none of that. They've struggled to run the ball over the second half of the season um, with some bad blocking, and Kareem Hunt looks a little bit broken already, which is crazy, or just fatigued, not getting used to that that workload. I remember he did play for Toledo, so it's a little little bit different going from, from that type of football to the NFL, but you know, against Buffalo, they've allowed nearly 300 yards on the ground to the Saints just like two weeks ago. And then the Chargers as well. He had 11 carries for 17 yards. Um, they, they they just look broken. The Chiefs are such an interesting team. Because you look at the Cowboys, and, and believe me, I'm all about giving them their proper blame. But you can somewhat justify what's happened. They've had all those all pros missing. And they've run into three hot teams in terms of the Falcons, the Eagles, and the Chargers. The, the Chiefs, I know we're talking about this Bills loss, but they lost to the Giants. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chiefs the, the Chiefs are disgusting right now. After the I don't know too. that it – I don't know – exactly, and Andy Reid, that's all we ever hear. That's like a, a trope through yeah. every season. Oh, Andy Reid is 503 after the bye. But <laughs> this is troubling, and I don't know that it's Andy Reid. I don't know that it's Alex Smith, and I feel like pulling Alex is sort of an overreaction at this point. Although, as a fan of, of poetry, it would be somewhat poetic if just like five years ago with Colin Kaepernick, Alex Smith got pulled for a young quarterback that took his team to the Super Bowl um, in his in his place. Um, but Pat Mahomes, the, the, the rap on him all along has been that he is not ready. And I think that you're not only damaging this season, but you're damaging Pat Mahomes to just throw him in right now because you're panicking. Okay, but in saying that, are the Chiefs just comfortable just – Going into the playoffs and and losing in the first week again, by not yes, by not that, handing that's the, who the Chiefs are yeah, but but not handing the ball to Mahomes and taking the chance, they're just admitting defeat already. Right, but I think that if you're the Chiefs, you have to get back to what worked, and you have to get back to riding Kareem Hunt. I know you're saying he looks fatigued, but I mean this team has been a very successful offense this season. We're, we're not talking about oh, you know, Alex Smith did this last year, etc. They have that within them this season. And so I think that you have to stay the course because if you freaked out after a few bad weeks, granted some some very bad weeks, I think that you're doing your entire team a disservice. And you have all the time in the world with Pat Mahomes. But again, it is the Kansas City Chiefs way to just accept we're barely good enough. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's just so hard. Smith, Smith's thrown below... Seven point yards per attempt in in three of his past four games, and then being below six in the last two after starting the year as one of the leaders in yards per attempt, he's just gone back to like even more conservative than he has before. I I, I don't know. I, I just think maybe if if he if he lays another stink bomb against the Jets, I I do think you need to give Mahomes a look. You got to consider. I, I certainly. I, I think maybe you're you're flirting with that line. Uh, but I agree, Alex Smith has reverted back to the, the bad Alex Smith. I would, at this point, just for the sake of, of hilarity, love to see an Alex Smith-Joe Flacco game. Oh, boy. I would not want to see that after watching Joe Flacco, Tom Savage last last night. That was 
That was a debacle. It was, it was special. <laughs> um, so the Chargers, they're playing the, the Chiefs in a fortnight. Um, so, look, if the Chiefs' stubbornness of not going to Mahomes and Alex Smith continues this, could they potentially not win this division? So the Chargers, obviously, they tore through your Cowboys on Thanksgiving while Rivers averaged 13.2 yards per attempt. A lot of that's Dak Prescott's fault, clearly. Um <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, obviously, the, the Sean Lee loss really hurts your, your defense. But ESPN's Football Power Index projects the Chiefs and Chargers to both finish 9-7. and seven. So this, this division matchup in two weeks could be a, a division shift. I think the Chargers are one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. And the Chargers have this season every three to four years. You think that that's kind of they, they just get hot and they do something special. Philip Rivers. It, it really reminds you sort of the last uh, real ride they had was the Bolo tie uh, year yeah. when everything kind of came out. And the same way it would be so Chargers to lose to the Browns, which would not shock me. It would be so Chargers if the season that was defined by how little people cared about them. They won their division for the first time ever hosted a playoff game in which they were massively drowned out by the opposing team's fans. That is the Chargers' way to go. Yeah, I I love the Chargers. I love Phillip Rivers. Uh, I I actually think they can still win this division now after watching. I, I really thought that the Chiefs would... I think they will. Yeah, I thought the Chiefs were going to you know ease into it. I thought they were going to beat the Bills, have a really easy schedule, but... I'm not sure anymore. Um, as you're right, it would be the most Chargers thing ever. Like this, this game against the, the Browns, if they do what they're supposed to do and be a good team that beats up on a bad team, then then I'm in on the Chiefs and on the Chargers. I actually think the Chargers are the third best team in the AFC right now. I, I would, I, I'd take only the the Patriots and the Steelers ahead of them. I'd love to see a Chargers Steelers game right now. That would be so great to watch. Yep. Oh uh, yeah, I think their pass rush is good. Casey Hayward's good. Um, they're, they're going in the right direction. Um, and I know this gives you pain again, but it was great to see Keenan Allen have a big game in prime time because I think he's been doing it all year and um, people just don't realize how great he is of a route runner. He is uh, he is something special, and they're, they're great in a lot of ways. I mean, their defense is coming on strong. They've got the best pass rushing duo in the NFL yep. in Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, so they're exciting. I do think they win this game or this uh, this division, um, and again, I, I think nobody cares. That's just who they are. That's their DNA. <laughs> yeah. All right, third point of the three-point stance, live by the Bortles, die by the Bortles. Can the Jaguars embark on a deep playoff run with a quarterback that they don't trust? I'm so happy that this is a real thing. I just, I, I'm so happy that this is a real thing. And I'm going to hurt your feelings because I know you have a great level of love and admiration for this man. But the 2017 Jaguars are better and have a better quarterback than the 2015 Broncos. And so if no it was way. possible no for them, way. it's possible for these guys. No way. There's, see, that that's the difference. I don't, I don't agree with that because... Even though Manning was like corpse of himself, like twenty five percent of his greatness, of his goatness, as I should say, um, he still scared defenses because of the name and the number and the brain that he had on the back, you know, back and in, inside of his head and the back of his jersey. I completely screwed that up, but anyway, Blake Bortles does not strike fear into anybody. Anybody, he—that's what makes him dangerous. Is he's overestimated or underestimated by everybody? No, I, I mean. I, Again, I, I think I think that this Jaguars team collectively, I think this defense is better than the Broncos of two years ago. And I think this specific version, this is not the most 
lethargic version of Blake Bortles we've ever seen. It's not. I mean, it's very, very close. But we've seen Blake be worse. And so I think that this version of Blake Bortles is better than that version of Peyton Manning. This is insane. And you will not be invited on this show any further after today. And, <laughs> and these Jaguars have Leonard Fournette. Yeah, but well, if what you, did those Broncos have? C.J. Anderson. If you stop the run, you stop the Jags. That's that's it. It you know they they shut down Leonard Fournette. The Cardinals shut down Leonard Fournette, and they turned to turned to water. Um, you know, I know Blake Bortles made a series of play with his legs. Maybe that's one advantage he has over Corpse Peyton Manning is he can run run it. Um, you know, and move the sticks a little bit. Although we did see uh, in the AFC Championship game, both Brady and Manning break off. Uh, I think it was twelve yard runs each. Um, which was amazing in itself. But he took costly third-down sacks, got away with a fumble, a pair of near, near interceptions, and then was picked off by Tyrone Matthew late in the fourth quarter and then backed up deep in their own territory with over a minute remaining. Doug Marone just had so little faith in their quarterback, he just called a run and bled out the clock and then basically gave the better quarterback of the game, Blaine Gabbert, the keys to, to win it. And I think the Jags would be better off right now if they just... Had Blaine Gabbert. I think that's true too. But I still think that the Jaguars the Jaguars are gonna win a playoff game. We both know this. They're going Ooh, to win a playoff are you game. Gonna, I reckon we should have a bet here on this. I'm uh, fine with that. Let's do I mean, let's I'd do like, a Whataburger I, uh, bet on this. Because eventually I will end up in Texas in the next uh, two to three years at some point. Uh, my honeymoon's unfortunately in Europe, but the following year I will end up on, on a USA trip and I'll and I'll come and uh, we'll rendezvous in at a water burger, and you can pay up a burger for when the Jags uh, go one and done. I'm fine with that. They are going to win a playoff game. Unless they I play mean, the Chiefs, then I'm then I'm scra- you know uh, shaking my head because I've said for two weeks now I can't wait to bet against Alex Smith in the playoffs. But if they play the Jags, that's going to happen. <laughs> that, that's going to happen. The, the AFC South champion Jacksonville Jaguars are going to beat the six seated. Uh, Kansas City or five seated Kansas City Chiefs. That's going to happen. Okay. All right. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see. So you're happy with a with a Whataburger bet on this? Oh, I'm down. Okay. All the way. All right. Sweet. All I'm down with that. That is good. Uh, all right. I just want to mention as well. I mentioned Blaine Gabbert. This was this game was a coming together of all three Jaguars bust picks at quarterback because we had Blaine Gabbert, we had Blake Bortles, and then you had Brian Leftwich coaching um, Blaine Gabbert um, in the Arizona coaching staff. So that was pretty weird and spooky. But I want to say this. I know you don't like Bruce Arians, but I think, you know, you know, his play calling at times and, and some decision-making in, in games, late in games, definitely under under question this year and, and last year. I definitely agree with you on that. But I do think that he is a good quarterback whisperer. I know that gets thrown out there a lot, that, that quarterback whisperer, but I think he's done a great job with Blaine Gabbard. I mean, if he got his hands on Blake Bortles, you could probably flip the two in that game and say, yeah, Blake Bortles would be better with Bruce Arians coaching him as opposed to uh, the made-up name that's the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars, Todd Wash or something. That that's not a real person. Let's be honest. Um, but... I think that I, I think Bruce Arians is a better quarterback coach than the average person. But his his quarterback success is attributed to his time with Peyton Manning, with Ben Roethlisberger, with Andrew Luck, and with Carson Palmer. What was the, the the lowest person drafted of those four is Ben Roethlisberger. 
I mean, so, yeah, what a coincidence that yep. Bruce Arians had an enormous amount of success with quarterbacks, three of which were the number one overall pick in their respective drafts. Yes. What a whisperer. But a lot of uh, high-round, first-round quarterbacks, uh, you know, don't often go that great. They fizzle out a lot. So I, I definitely agree with you in a little bit in regards to that. But, if look, if Blaine Gabbard, I think he deserves an extended audition, even if Palmer is healthy, they're out of contention uh, although not technically, but they, they definitely will not be making the playoffs, the Cardinals. So I just think if, if he can actually turn Blaine Gabbard around and maybe if they are in the market for a quarterback next year and, and need a, a year to bridge and get Blaine Gabbard becomes something, I think that could be a defining moment as the quarterback whisperer for, for Bruce Arians. That's, a, that's if he hangs around as a head coach. I definitely think he's a much better quarterback coach than head coach. We're crediting the renaissance of Blaine Gabbert to Bruce Arians when Blaine Gabbert at times looked very serviceable last year in San Francisco under the tutelage of Chip Kelly. Yep. So if you're going to credit Bruce Arians in that regard, you've got to credit Chip Kelly not only equally but probably first and foremost. Again, Bruce Arians, he does this. He does something that is barely impressive. Wow. And then everybody extrapolates it because he's so cool and he curses in his post-game press conference. <laughs> I think uh, if we ever got asked to go on first take, that would be it. Bruce Arians would be our subject because we could both get really I heated. I just think it would be great. Um, who would be the more Stephen A in if we went on first take? Who would get more fired up between you and I? I think you because I would press your Peyton buttons, and uh, I think that it would it would work that way. <laughs> but Peyton that's, that's but great. but Bruce, Bruce Arians would be somebody that I would love to go on a fishing trip with. I'd love to have a beer with him. I'd love to play a round of uh, a game of pool with him. I would not want him coaching my team. Okay. There's so much criticism for what Jason Garrett has done, and I, I hate to you know go at this from a Cowboys angle because he was coach of the year, et cetera. Bruce Arians has won coach of the year 14 different times, and <laughs> what happened to his Arizona Cardinals last season after they got to the NFC Championship game? This season, he's able to hide behind the injuries to David Johnson and Carson Palmer, but he's just as crummy of a head coach. Jason Garrett's terrible. I'll just say that. Agreed. Yep. All right. <laughs> Super Bowl picks. We were going to Disneyland. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Every week we pick our Super Bowl picks in the hope of eventually just being right by coincidence once and we can go back and claim it as a victory. Um, so I'm going to lock in. Uh, I'm going to call it the all head coach bowl um, here. You know, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. He's the, uh, the real reason for all of New England's success. And now there's a new kid on the block in the NFC that's getting all kinds of props and, and kudos for his play that's turned the career of Jared Goff around. And I think this would be a really interesting sort of the master v. the apprentice, New England v. Rams in the Super Bowl, um, Sean McVay, Bill Belichick, um, new kid, the wonder kid versus uh, the uh, the ultimate uh, evil empire and uh, the, the, the maestro of coaching. I mean, it would be great. Certainly. But first of all, we've seen this Super Bowl matchup before. Second of all, until they have their uniform properly sorted out, the Rams don't belong in the Super Bowl. Um, third of all, it's just inconceivable, I think, that Los Angeles would get a team back this quickly and go to the Super Bowl. Okay. But see, I, I'm taking this from a different angle because you took it from the head coaching angle and I think it would be great. I think that would be sort of a great like passing of the torches, so to speak. And then Sean McVay becomes the next version of Bill Belichick. 
I would love to see. We've been robbed of this a few times before. I would love to see elite quarterback against elite quarterback in the Super Bowl. We deserve that. We've we've stomached through many poor quarter uh, Super Bowls, so and so got, I think you that, got Philip Rivers against uh, Cam Newton, right? <laughs> something like that. I've got the New England Patriots because they're going to steamroll their way. I know that we both know this. Yeah, it's happening. And. And the New Orleans Saints, yep, the I, New Bowl. I had that yesterday, uh, last week, I think. I yeah. I really like that. I know the Saints just lost to the Rams, but this feels without, a without lot Marshall of... and Lattimore, and who's huge loss that was massive. It, exactly, a lot of people have compared this Saints rushing attack with Mark Ingram and with Alvin Kamara to their old one with Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush. Well, Reggie Bush's rookie year. In 2006, they got to the NFC Championship game, and they weren't able to beat a mighty Chicago Bears defense. We haven't seen Drew Brees really be Drew Brees. He's just been what the Saints have needed him to be. Their defense is, I don't want to say on par with, but close to that of their 2009 Super Bowl Championship squad. Again, another reference. I apologize. But still... The Saints have it all clicking, and at some point, Drew Brees is going to explode. And I think it's going to be in the NFC Championship game to punch their ticket uh, to the Super Bowl. I like that. Although he did explode a little bit late in that fourth quarter against Washington, so we got a little preview of what um, Drew Brees has been hiding uh, behind for many weeks. It's fine. Don't rest that arm up. You're going to need it in the playoffs. I think that's a good arm. I think I had that uh, Super Bowl matchup last week. That'd be so great. I mean, Breeze against Brady, we deserve that. Yeah. If it can't be Rodgers versus Brady, it needs to be Breeze. I'll pass. Uh, Rivers versus Breeze would be much better. <laughs> the 2004 showdown. Yeah. The former Chargers. Yeah. The former San Diegoans. Ooh, I could get behind that. We could get behind that. Pre-snap picks. All right, pre-snap picks time. And let's start with the Thursday night football game between the Washington team and the Dallas Cowboys uh obviously Ochoa you're going with the Cowboys I'm I'm assuming um you know I believe the line on this is something like a point and a half and that feels just so insulting I'm gonna do it as a loyalist but this is a Redskins team that should have beaten the Saints as you just said I would not be stunned if uh if they lost but I will take the Cowboys yeah you're gonna take the Cowboys I'll, I'll take the Washington team I think until I can see Dak Prescott turn it around and, and this defense make a few stops, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pick against the Cowboys um, at this point. But I uh, I am keen to watch it. It's one of the better Thursday night football matchups uh, for a while, although I did really enjoy all the, the, most of the Thanksgiving games. The first two were really good. And then the week before that, the, the Titans-Steelers game was, um, was uh, you know, sneaky good. Uh, but I, I just think... Washington are too strong, although they did really struggle without Chris Thompson. Um, Kirk Cousins really missed that sort of safety blanket. I don't blame you for it. Yep. All right, Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints. A lot of great NFC games this week, and that's definitely one of them here. Um, The division title on the line here, or not the title, but to move into first place um, between these two teams. Uh, The Panthers and the Saints, they travel to... It is at home, sorry, uh, for the Saints... So they're slight favorites, I think three and a half, four point favorites. Um, but the Panthers, Greg Olson's foot injury, not serious. Uh, so I think he will play. And they need a they need a pass catcher opposite Devin Funches. They can't rely on McCaffrey too much in the passing game because they need him, you know, as a more change of pace guy as well on the ground. So um, if they can get Olson back, 
their offense starts a little starts to look a little bit better because it's Russell Shepard's their wide receiver two right now. <laughs> that's uh, that's not how you want to roll. No. I uh, I always look forward to these. I look forward to the NFC South matchups that don't include the Buccaneers. Those Saints Falcons, Saints Panthers, Panthers Falcons games. They're always high scoring. They're always incredible. They're always. Uh, I, in fact, I take it back. I look forward to the ones in domes. I don't ever enjoy the ones in Carolina. Um, and so I am excited about this game and I will take my Super Bowl representative from the NFC. I will take the Saints. Yeah. I'm also keen to see if Marshall and Lattimore plays because he's just such a difference maker for them. Uh, it's unbelievable. Um, the splits for the Saints defense with and without him, considering he's just a, a rookie corner, but he just shuts down a complete side of the field and it just helps Helps the offense roll. Um, it's it's kind of I mentioned the car and the engine before. He's kind of the engine for the Saints defense that that helps Cameron Jordan and and David Onyemata make plays. Obviously Alex Akafor out for the season after having a strong month of football. So they've taken some hits this Saints defense, but Carolina have been so inconsistent offensively. It's hard to hard to pick them given that they relied on two sort of special teams and, and a defensive touchdown to get past the Jets. So I'm taking the Saints as well. Good call. Uh, Denver Broncos travel to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Paxton Lynch will not start. I do want to thank Paxton Lynch, though, because one of our tweets involving him uh, went off um, on Sunday. So we got a lot of a lot of traffic, some new followers. Welcome. Um, so thank you for that. But he is not an NFL quarterback, and I'm glad he's not playing because he's tough to watch. Um, he gifted uh, the Raiders their first interception of the season. In a, it was like a pinball. Um, it hit like three or four people before it landed in the uh, lap of an Oakland Raider um, but Miami may be the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> this is the Adam Gase Bowl and also the C.J. Anderson Bowl. Because if you'll remember, when he was yes. a restricted free agent, they signed him uh, and then they Denver matched, uh, matched that offer. I think that C.J. Anderson goes off. Um, and by going off, I mean he has like 70 yards because, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll say that the Dolphins win only because they're the home team. I really don't believe in either of these guys. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to take the Broncos just because Trevor Simeon's starting. Look, I know Trevor Simeon's not great, but he's so much better than Lynch and Osweiler. Um, so I think uh, the Broncos get the job done. Uh, Damian Williams out as well for the Dolphins, so they're just going to be re- relying solely on Kenyon Drake. Um, so... Hopefully Denver can limit his views there. Drake Drake reference. Thank you. I'll take the points there. Uh, D- Detroit Lions travel to the Baltimore Ravens uh, this game. It's so tough to watch Baltimore Ravens play football. Their offense is probably the most, un- uh, what's the word, mundane. Probably probably the offense I least like watching them in, in the NFL right now. They're just really, really tough to watch. Um, but their defense is playing really, really well. This is, you know, what 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 storyline is there here? There's none. There's nothing I enjoy. I'll take the Lions only because they're not the Ravens. That's literally my only reason. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna take the Ravens because they're at home, but I'm not convinced at all in this game. I'm not keen to. It's not even a good jersey matchup. Um, no, it's a gross one. It's just, it's a gross matchup. Let's move on. Uh, Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans. Although the Ravens need a win to keep staying alive in the sixth seed, so we mentioned that. Same with the Lions. So could be a loser goes home. Uh, game for the Lions. Uh, Texans, Titans, uh, divisional matchup. The Titans may be the worst 7-4 and four team, uh, not in NFL history, because I'm sure there's been some some average ones, but they're definitely one of the most uh, average 7-4 and four teams in recent memory. I'm just not convinced by them at all. This is 
a weird game, obviously. Um, this is uh, this would have been a great game if J.J. Watt had been there for his moment uh, to go thank uh, the owner of the Titans for the Hurricane Harvey donation. That would have been fantastic, obviously. I really think, though, that it would be the most Titans thing ever to lose this game with them in contention. And it would be the most Texans thing ever to win this game when they're just kind of trying to put themselves out of their own misery. So I think that the Texans win this game and Marcus Mariota disappoints us yet again. Yeah, this this game is a, is sort of a turning point for Mariota because the Texans have been a defense that's allowed some big plays to wide receivers over the last few months. So this is this could be a matchup for the Titans to really get some offense and get some offense going, get Marcus Mariota into some rhythm and, and build on that momentum. But if he lays another egg, um, we need to start having the conversation about Mariota, who seems to be, as I said earlier, escaping all sorts of criticism while Jameis Winston and Dak Prescott um, seems to cop criticism left, right, and center. In saying that, I'm taking the Titans. I don't believe in the Texans at all. Tom Savage is always great for a strip sack or two. Um, another AFC South matchup, Indianapolis Colts, um, Groundhog Day, um, game for them. Jacksonville Jaguars at home. Tough defense. Colts, bad team. I'm taking the Jags. I'm I'm taking the Jaguars. It's probably the easiest decision so far. Yeah, I am very comfortable in saying that the Colts will lose this game. I'll say one thing about the Colts, though. The last three weeks, their defense has been um, a lot better in terms of um, not giving up huge, huge plays making some stops, forcing some interceptions. Clayton Gathers came back last week. So there's some signs there, and a lot of the, the rookie picks from Chris Ballard have, have been very, very good. Um, so that's one to watch. Considering we got rid of Vontae Davis and our team's still playing a lot better defense, that's that's good signs. Fair enough. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs travel to the New York Jets. Uh, this game, if you looked at it sort of four or five weeks ago, you would just shrug your shoulders and say, Chiefs will win this game. It's not really that important of a game. But the Jets still in playoff contention uh, because the AFC is so poor. And the Chiefs, this this is the game that they need to stop the slide. But the Jets have been somewhat sneaky at home. I like the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs to snap out of their funk. Maybe we all stop talking about Alex Smith negatively. I think the Chiefs pull this off and the Jets fall back into who they are. I reckon the Jets will win and the Alex Smith slide will just go deeper into the vortex. Um, All right. Yep. The Chiefs are frauds. Say it again. They're they're frauds. Uh, (laughs) Minnesota Vikings travel to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. The Falcons have put some solid offensive games uh, back-to-back now, but still somewhat let the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by Ryan Fitzpatrick, get within a score or kind of in the fourth quarter and hang around in here. Minnesota Vikings, I'm really happy for Case Keenum um, after watching All or Nothing and speaking to Shannon Furman and, and Hard Knocks and things like that. Um, she genuinely talked about Case Keenum and his and his wife and their family in such glowing regard. Um, it's just great to see him happy and, and playing really, really well. And in saying that, I'm, I'm going to take the Vikings to win this game. Um, but, you know, the Falcons, they're a, t- they're, they're a team that when they're on offensively, they can really pile up points. But this is a tough matchup for them against the Vikings defense that's playing really, really well. Everson Griffin, if he keeps making sacks, uh, that Defensive Player of the Year um, award will definitely be uh, heading closer and closer towards him. I think the Falcons, you know, they're a team that I've liked to pick on for a long time and not believe in. And the Cowboys serve as a team. They're kind of your get-right team. 
And the Falcons clicked in the second half against the Cowboys. And they were amazing in Seattle. They were amazing against the Buccaneers. And the Falcons are back. I've bought into it. And I think this is, you know, at some point the Vikings have to have a bad game. Yep. And I, and some at some point Case Keenum has to kind of come back to the mean. And I think that this is it. I think the Falcons win this game handily. And then the Teddy Bridgewater conversation ramps up. Wow. Too. Okay. Huge. Uh, look, I do think Case Keenan will come back to the mean, but I do think the mean is a little bit higher up on the scale of quarterback play than it was originally when he was playing under Jeff Fisher. I think watching Goff and Keenum away from Jeff Fisher has proven that he was the problem in, in LA. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. Jeff Fisher watching Case and Jared. It's got to be fun. He's on the ledge. Um, all right, New England Patriots, uh, Buffalo Bills. This one's a pretty easy matchup. I'm, I'm going to tip the Patriots in every single game until they prove me wrong. I don't think they lose the rest of the way. I think they just march, keep marching on to the Super Bowl and win again. Yep, that's who they are. I'm taking the Pats. I'm, I'm never questioning that. Yep, never again. Um, all right, uh, San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears. Jimmy Garoppolo is starting, so... What should be a generally unwatchable game, there is a little bit of interest here to see how Jimmy Garoppolo um, plays. Um, poor CJ Bethard um, took some big hits. He's a tough guy. Um, not not a great quarterback, but he's a tough guy. I'll give him credit. But um, Jimmy G, interesting to see how he plays. Chicago have been pretty saucy at home, but the last three or four weeks now, they've really sort of just John Foxed it. Vic Fangio revenge game here. Uh, very you, interesting. You love revenge games. Uh, I do. I, I really do. And uh, But I do think that Jimmy's going to come out, and I actually think he's going to be incredible, and people are going to continue to praise uh, John Lynch for the job he's done and getting him there and the Kyle Shanahan era, et cetera. I think it's going to be uh, quite amazing. So you're picking the 49ers? Absolutely. Yeah, so am I here. Uh, I do want to see the Bears just give Trubisky a bit more of a role. Like, your season's over. Let the guy throw. Like, you might make some picks and, and some awful stuff, but get it out of the way. Get, get him get him going. It's 56 yards against the Eagles. It's just disgusting. Just, you know, let let the kid have a have a decent chance here in, in a game. Uh, all right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to the Lambeau Field to take on Brett Hundley and the Packers. Bit of a nothing game here. Two teams kind of out of, out of playoff contention. Um, I did like what I saw from Hunley at times last week, so I'll take the Packers at home. We still don't know whether Jameis Winston's going to play, but Fitzpatrick's been fine. Uh, you know, obviously the difference between Fitzpatrick and, and a good Jameis Winston is is huge, but Winston hadn't hadn't been good since injuring his shoulder anyway. We don't get these a lot, but it is a battle of the Bays, which I'm excited about, Tampa and Green. Um, <laughs> and also, you look at this. The Buccaneers' uniforms are so disgusting. Them at Lambeau Field does not belong. That that will irk me all day Sunday, having to look at these futuristic uh, pieces of garbage at one of the more historic football <laughs> cathedrals that there are. Uh, I will take Brett Hundley as well. Yeah. <laughs> what is a better bay, green or Tampa? Just talking bad. I've been, I've been to green. Uh, I've never been to Tampa. Uh, and uh, Green has cheese curds, and so they win by default. I'll take Tampa then. Uh, I'm not a big fan of cheese. Uh, all right, Cleveland Browns, Los Angeles Chargers. We've kind of previewed this game uh, throughout the show, mentioning uh, mentioning the most Chargers thing ever. I do think, though, that the Chargers, despite Josh Gordon's presence, will get the job done here at home. I'm going to take them as they keep marching on towards uh, towards a playoff and a division title, my, uh, my beloved Los Angeles Chargers. For fun? 
I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going to go one step further, and I'm going to say that in the sort of immediate hour afterwards, Josh Lambeau sends a uh, a condescending sort of subtweet at the Chargers. <laughs> um, I'm in for that narrative if that does happen. All right, Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals, Jared Goff takes on Blaine Gabbert, the real American who's just thriving under a fantastic quarterback coach in Bruce Arians. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take the Rams, who have been very impressive and continue to do good things, and, and uh, Aaron Donald continues to just be genuinely a freak and unblockable. I think the Rams are going to destroy the Cardinals. I think they're going to win by 30 or more points. Well, their last I think game the... was just so one-sided. And I think that the conversation is going to be, well, what's going on? What what happened, Bruce Arians? People are going to act completely and totally stunned by the fact that Bruce Arians got destroyed. So I'll take uh, I'll take Jared Goff, King Goff. Better or worse than uh, thirty three to nil? That was what it was in London uh, earlier this year. Uh better. I like that. Better. I believe in Sean McVay. All right, Sean McVay, as many people are calling him at this point. Uh, nice. New York New York Giants. Oakland Raiders, this is just a, a yawn match. Um, but now with Geno Smith starting, you kind of want to tune in to see the, the, the circus. Um, but in saying that, I'll take the Raiders as, as a bad as they are. I'm not a huge fan of their, of them as a team right now. Their defense is just pathetic. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Raiders. But, um, this would be an interesting kind of, uh, subplot to this whole Raiders, uh, uh Giants saga if, uh, Geno Smith plays really, really well and has a, has a great game against a good Raiders defense and, and rallies the Giants. Giants win. In saying that, Eli Manning would have done the exact same. I agree that it would be interesting, but it, it, like the, the same way Bruce Aarons has been on my radar for a little while, Derek Carr is kind of getting there. Yeah. Um, and oh. this has the makings of a Raider win that they kind of eke out somewhat closely. Uh, and afterwards, Derek Carr is pumping his chest and pounding it, saying how they're in playoff contention and not really realizing that they just beat the Geno Smith-led Giants. Yep. Uh, I definitely agree with you about Derek Carr. Um, need to have a conversation. It was unfortunate that they won that crazy Chiefs game in primetime because me and Wood had a theory that he was good, he's the new Andy Dalton in primetime because if you looked at his numbers generally in primetime, they were really, really bad. Um, and then obviously that game's now just skewed all of that out of out of whack. But we're not huge believers in the old Derek Carr. But uh, we'll we'll wait and see next season. Obviously this season's well and truly lost. Uh, I do think it's very early in a lot of these players to careers, especially like Wentz and, and Dak as well, to to really have a final ruling on whether they're good or not. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Seattle Seahawks. Well, not whether they're good or not, how good they actually are. But anyway, Philadelphia Eagles. Seattle Seahawks, another great NFC game. This is a juicy one. Seattle need to keep winning um, to stay alive with the Rams. They do have the tiebreaker over the Rams, and we'll play them in a few weeks. But um, if there is that two-game gap there, that makes it very tough. This is probably the game of the year so far on paper. And this is, I believe, the first time in five years that the Seahawks are greater than a three-point underdog at home. Yeah, it's something five like points, that. five points right now. And that is absurd and speaks to the monster that Howie Roseman has built. And this is uh, kind of, again, sort of a, a revenge game here. The Byron Maxwell revenge game, somewhat, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you know, Byron Maxwell, the team that scorned him and banished him to Miami before he got back uh, to the Legion of Boom, 
I think as much as it hurts to say, I think the Eagles roll through this game. I, I think that they just steamroll their way. It kind of feels like uh, two years ago when the Cardinals went to Seattle on Sunday Night Football. If you remember that game, that was the Drew Stanton uh, dancing in the along the sidelines game. It kind of feels like that, where it's going to be kind of competitive, and Carson Wentz is going to pull away, and this is the game where he wins the MVP. Yeah, I think if he has a huge game in primetime here against the, the Legion of Boom and, and the Seattle defense, although it's not really the Legion of Boom anymore with all these injuries, but this could be a game that he really puts his foot down in the MVP race, although I do think Brady is the MVP right now um, quite comfortably, but... I'm picking the Eagles as well. I'm not picking against the Eagles until they let me down. Um, they just It was just comprehensive ass-whipping of the Bears. They just win in all facets of the game. And this running back committee, it's kind of the opposite of the Eagles, uh, of the Seahawks, sorry, is the Eagles have these four running backs that all do great work, and Seattle have four running backs that they can't really get into the game plan long enough to make an impact. Um, I, think, I think, yeah. I think it's fascinating. So much of football, I tweeted this today on Tuesday, is is luck and the Eagles happen to have hit on Carson Wentz two years in and in that same stretch of time Tony Romo retired from the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants benched Eli Manning I mean they are coming in to an incredible franchise quarterback in a time where their division is sputtering granted the Cowboys have Dak Prescott but the Giants have a question mark and the Redskins can't seem to handle their franchise quarterback I mean it is Yep. Uh, just an incredible wave of fortune heading uh, Philadelphia's way. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of football is luck and injury luck as well. And Seattle have had some bad injury luck this year where they've managed to have it go the other way in previous years. So um, I think a lot of that is, I think injury luck is so underrated when you look at championship teams and, and winning teams and, and front office luck as well. Um, you know, players falling to them. You look at, Amir Abdullah, David Johnson, that the Cardinals were, were ready to get take Amir Abdullah and and, and lucked yep. into to uh, to David Johnson. So a lot of that sort of comes into to play as well, and very very underrated. But not taking anything away from the Eagles, who are who are rolling and and doing a great job. But yeah, it is it's going to be an interesting off season in the NFC East with you know Washington and Kirk Cousins, Dallas with their their issues and Des Bryant, and then obviously now the Giants with all this Eli, Eli Manning. Business, so uh, I would, yeah. I wouldn't discount the Odell Beckham Jr. situation either. I mean, he's still lurking for a new contract. Yep. I mean, maybe he, maybe he doesn't want to be a part of a Giants team that's rebuilding. Yeah, man. Maybe he wants to come and play with Andrew Locke. Maybe that could be something. Uh, if he ever plays again, why? No, he, he'll, he be ever right. plays again. <laughs> he'll be fine. Most overblown story. Jesus. Uh, all right, Phil. I'm taking the Eagles as well, as I said. All right, last game: Pittsburgh Steelers, Cincinnati Bengals. Um, this, these games are always pretty saucy. Um, a very good rivalry, violent rivalry. Um, Vontaze Burfick, James Harrison, Tempest Flair all the time. Uh, I'm taking the Steelers, but the Bengals wouldn't shock me if they win. The Steelers are due a, a bad road loss that'll inevitably gift New England the number one seed. This could be the game, but I'll take the Steelers. That's a great point that at some point they have to give New England the top seed, but are we in, in the final year of Marvin Lewis? Do we feel comfortable that this is the, the last year? He's going to coach um, forever. Because if this is the, the final ride for Marvin Lewis, we need one last just embarrassment at home against the Steelers. We, we need it. Uh, and so I'll take the Steelers. Yep. Uh, Joe Mixon, finally, they finally realize he's good and, and getting a lot more ball. So that's something to watch. And A.J. Green, since being labeled soft, has put it on 
really, really well. Antonio Brown killing it as well. Uh, so some some good wide receivers on display in prime time. All right, that wraps up the show. Before we uh, play the outro, RJ, plug anything you like. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure, despite disagreeing on a lot, which is good because we normally we and I normally agree <laughs> on a lot of things. So it's added some flavor, um, some debate, some first takery to the show. Well, I appreciate it. I'm always here, uh, hopeful to come around in a few times over the next month or so. Um, in terms of me, every day you can watch Ocho Live or we talk uh, talk Cowboys, talk about what's going on. That's on my Twitter, on my Periscope, or on the Blogging the Boys Facebook live feed. You can read my work at bloggingtheboys.com or at ESPNSA.com. I fill in occasionally on our two shows here at ESPN San Antonio. And you can follow me every Dallas Cowboys game day as I serve as their Cowboys insider uh, there at AT&T Stadium reporting live from the games. It is uh, fun, and we do what we can to get the best uh, content out there to have a great time. Yep, definitely recommend Ocho Live, guys. Check that out, and uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, enjoy week 13. Thanks for listening to another installment of the Woot and Why Show. Check out previous episodes at WootenY.com and on iTunes. And follow each of the boys on Twitter at This Is Woot and at JYNFL. Or you can follow the podcast at Woot and Y.